You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome, welcome to the Live Free Now show, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. And today we have a wonderful program lined up for you today. We are going to be discussing cryptocurrency, the ins and outs of Bitcoin, other coins, blockchain technology, what it's all about. And I'm going to focus on some beginner information because when Bitcoin price goes up, a lot of people start getting involved and there's this phenomenon we'll talk about a little bit more called FOMO, fear of missing out. And it seems like a lot of folks are interested in Bitcoin again. Many people that knew about it for a while, but I guess it's better late than never. So we're going to talk about some of the basics. We're going to talk about some strategies. We're going to talk about some tips. I've been involved in the crypto space since about 2012 to 2013. And in that time, I have learned a whole lot. I've learned what I've learned best practices and I've learned worst practices. I've bought low and sold high, and I've bought high and sold low. So I'd like to think that the knowledge, I know this, the knowledge that I have and the wisdom that I have being involved in this space for quite some time and being able to take a big picture look, uh, I think I have a lot to offer the community. So thank you so much for tuning in. This is going to be an in-depth video. We'll probably go for about an hour, try to wrap it up by an hour Uh, I want you to be involved. If you're watching live, you can post comments and we'll try to address as many of them as we can. And uh, yeah, you can find my work at livefreenow.show, livefreenow.show. This is the website. If you're watching me on Facebook or YouTube, I strongly encourage you to go sign up here and uh, not only sign up with your email, but also I'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast feed. YouTube has been shutting people out. Facebook, I know they're going to go on a rampage when this vaccine is ready and there's people speaking out against the vaccine. They're going to be censoring people left and right. So follow me on this website here, livefreenow.show. I would greatly appreciate that. And then today I also want to offer, I fired back up the crypto consultations that I've done in the past. Uh, For a while I was doing sovereign BTC cryptocurrency consultations. Haven't done them in a couple of years. There seems to be a whole lot of people that are interested in crypto again, of course, because the price of Bitcoin is so high. So I do want to offer uh, one-on-one sessions. And to access that, you can head on over to the link there in the show notes, or you can go to SovereignBTC.YouCanBookMe.com. That's SovereignBTC.YouCanBookMe. Sorry, SovereignBTC.YouCanBook.Me. SovereignBTC.YouCanBook.Me. And you can book a time. We'll go one-on-one in-depth. A lot of the stuff, I'm going to cover a lot of great information, no cost at all right now. But if you want to go in-depth, if you want want me to hold your hand through the process to make sure that your cryptocurrency investment is not only safe from thieves, but more importantly, safe from user error, which happens all the time, then I definitely, definitely want you to check that out. We are streaming also on DLive 
the conscious resistance. Let me see if I can pull that up so we can get some answers, some questions from there. So essentially, like I said, I've been involved in the crypto space for quite some time. And cryptocurrency is something that's very important to me as an activist, as a as an anarchist, as someone that values liberty. Um, for the longest time, I was interested in alternative institutions and creating uh, institutions that people can engage in so they can no longer rely on the state, right? And early on, it was trading silver and silver dimes and silver in exchange for goods and services to try to decouple from the dollar, try to get back to sound money. And, you know, when I had my first child in 2011, we chose not to get her a social security number. And there was some pushback from my folks and like, what is she going to do when she wants to open a bank account was the big objection. And back then I would say, you know, I have a feeling that by the time they come of age where they're ready to do business and commerce, there's going to be some sort of technology or some sort of currency that that we, the community, have come up with in order to provide them that without needing to do banking. And sure enough, a couple of years later, I found out about cryptocurrency. It was already a thing. The first one of the first times I learned about crypto, it must have been 2011 or 2012. I think it was 2011 and maybe it was even 2010. It was probably 2010 or 2011 because I was still on our little farmstead property. And our friend was telling my ex-wife at the time that you guys got to get into this Bitcoin phenomenon. You can mine these Bitcoin on a computer. This was back when you could mine. We'll talk about what mining is. You could mine Bitcoin on a laptop. You didn't need these supercomputer ASIC chips that cost hundreds of dollars and use up a whole electricity. And back then, every time you earned a block, you won a block, talk about what a block is, you were rewarded 50 Bitcoin, which is like, I don't know, 800,000 or 900,000 right now. So those were the good old days. There's a whole lot. I, I don't like to do regrets. I like to learn from things. And so there's been a lot of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency that has come into my hands. And for the longest time, I was earning a living and getting paid with crypto. I did my own Bitcoin mine operation as well. And the Bitcoin would come in and then the Bitcoin would go out to pay bills, to buy groceries, to pay rent, to pay electricity, to feed my family. So I, I realized that I didn't have a holding on to Bitcoin problem. I had an income problem. So I'm, I'm grateful that now, many years later, um, my business is doing better. And now I'm in a situation where all the cryptocurrency that I get, I don't have to spend immediately. So that's that's a blessing as well. But we're going to talk about how you can get Bitcoin. We're going to talk about what blockchain technology is. We're going to talk about all that good stuff. I want to thank you for tuning in. And again, if you have any questions, please drop them in the comments and we will be sure to uh, to get to those. Let me just pull up the Conscious Resistance D Live so we can see people uh, that have any questions that are that are tuned in right now. Okay, so let's get right down to it. What the heck is cryptocurrency? Cryptocurrency essentially is cryptographic currency, right? Uh, that's one of the main ways that people describe Bitcoin. It's crypto. It uses cryptography in order to secure the transactions. And cryptocurrency has this great innovation in that the mechanisms, the software, the institutions are decentralized. Other currencies require a central bank, a government, a central institution, or a bank, which is a central institution, in order to verify the authenticity and legitimacy of the transactions. Okay, But with crypto, it's entirely decentralized and distributed. 
This is the great innovation that comes from Bitcoin and from blockchain technology. In order to verify the authenticity of the transactions, whether it's legit, whether the person that says they're sending money or currency or tokens to the other person actually legitimately owns those tokens and legitimately received those tokens, it does not require a central arbiter or a central authority. Okay, If you're like me, if you've become skeptical of authority, especially government authority, then this is a wonderful tool that can literally prove that people own what they say they own. There's so many different implications for this. And again, that's the big innovation. So underneath cryptocurrency is what's called the blockchain, blockchain technology. Okay. Bitcoin is just one of many different blockchains. There's numerous different blockchains. Think of it like Bitcoin with a capital B references the Bitcoin blockchain and the Bitcoin protocol and the Bitcoin infrastructure, the Bitcoin ecosystem, capital B Bitcoin blockchain. Lowercase b Bitcoin is the currency, the asset that's traded on the Bitcoin blockchain, if that makes sense. So there's two different things. Again, you have your currency or tokens, and then you have the blockchain. For example, there's an Ethereum blockchain right? Ethereum is something this guy Vitalik Buterin came up with, and it makes it easy to code on top of the blockchain to create what are called smart contracts, which essentially, rather than having a contractor doing business with a legal entity or a board of directors or people, you can do business with a cryptocurrency blockchain, which is pretty cool, without having any centralized authority to verify transactions and authenticity. So there's an Ethereum blockchain and the main token, the main currency that's traded on the Ethereum blockchain is called Ether. Okay, so what is a blockchain? A blockchain essentially is a distributed, decentralized public ledger. All throughout history, there have been banks and there's been financial institutions that share that have a ledger and they keep tabs. Okay, Billy has this much money. John has this much money. Billy sends money to John. Now Bill has this, Billy has this less money. John has this more money. And that's how things have been transcribed. There's a ledger, right? Banks have a ledger. Visa has a ledger that keeps track of your credit and your payments, so on and so forth. Well, essentially the blockchain is a distributed ledger. That ledger is housed in what are called nodes, okay? I'm talking specifically about Bitcoin. There's variations with different types of blockchains and the way that they work. This one is uh, what we're talking about, Bitcoin, which is the most popular and the most basic, the best thing to teach about. So there's a Bitcoin node, which essentially is a server that hosts the Bitcoin blockchain. The Bitcoin blockchain is a collection of all the transactions that have taken place since the Genesis block, the very first transaction, the very first block of transactions. Every 10 minutes, a block is added to the blockchain. And that block contains a certain amount of data. There's lots of controversy on how much information and how much data should go in that block. That's why we have Bitcoin Cash and we have seg- and we have um, all these other different iterations of Bitcoin that have Bitcoin Satoshi's vision and all these forks and everything. We don't, we don't need to think about that uh, right now. And so each block has a certain number of transactions. So you're sending and receiving Bitcoin to one another. That transaction is going to be included in the next block. 
Well, it's not always going to be included in the next block. So what happens with this Bitcoin blockchain and this ecosystem? Not only do you have the blockchain, the distributed public ledger, but you also have really strong supercomputers called Bitcoin miners. Now, these Bitcoin miners, they they solve complex algorithms and functions. They solve this complex problem. And they earn the right to salt to verify the transactions for the next block. Okay. So there's this great innovation where the people that are running these computers that verify the authenticity of the transactions, they are incentivized to run these computers, to maintain them, to keep uh, the power running. The power is very expensive now to power these machines. And now there's ASIC computers, application-specific integrated circuits that are designed specifically to do the SHA-256 algorithm to verify these transactions. And so whenever someone wins a block and they earn the right to solve, to verify the transactions, they're rewarded with Bitcoin. It started off with 50 Bitcoin. And then every four years, I believe, that's halved in two. Now it's 25, then it was 12 and a half. Now I think it's 7.25 or 6.25. So these miners, what they're doing is they're running their machines and they first have to solve a complex problem. And that takes a lot of time. That takes a lot of energy. And then once they solve the complex problem, then they earn the right to verify the transactions, verify the authenticity of the transactions. And the the cool way that that happens is the mining computer goes and sees. So if I, if John sends Bitcoin to Billy, a transaction to Billy, then the mining computers will go verify that I have that in my address and that I received that legitimately and I received it and that person received it legitimately and sent it legitimately and on down the line, right? They don't always have to go back to the very beginning, but they just have to go uh, some blocks back to verify that that transaction was legitimate. And this is the blockchain. It's a collection of transactions that have been verified every 10 minutes a new block gets added to the bitcoin blockchain and that's how bitcoins are brought into existence they are a reward for running these bitcoin miners okay and it's the bitcoin miners on the network that ping the nodes to verify the blockchain transactions are legitimate this is how fresh new bitcoins get mined And for crypto anarchists and agorists out there, these freshly mined Bitcoins in people's eyes have more value than Bitcoins that have gone through KYC, know your customer checks. We'll talk about some of that here in a second. Here we have a comment from Wicked Stepmother on YouTube. Happy Friday, John. Thank you for covering this topic. I want to get started in some crypto, but I feel very intimidated by it for some reason. How do I know which ones are good to buy into? We're going to talk about all that stuff right now. I always just say start with Bitcoin. Bitcoin seems to have the greatest gains. Bitcoin is what everyone knows. Oftentimes when Bitcoin goes up, the cryptocurrency ecosystem will follow. All right, so let's talk about different uses for blockchain technology. The most predominant use that everyone is familiar with is a currency, right? Bitcoin is used often in order to exchange goods and services, in order to purchase things online, But as we'll talk about, Bitcoin may not be the best currency out there. That's why Bitcoin Cash was created. Bitcoin Cash has the ability to fit more data on each block, right? So whenever you send a transaction, there's a transaction fee that goes along with it. It's a very free market way that this works. There's only a certain number of transactions that that can get included on a block. And 
you pay a fee. One of the downsides of Bitcoin is sometimes when there's a whole lot of congestion on the network and a lot of people are trying to buy and sell Bitcoin and trade goods and services for Bitcoin, that transaction fee can go up to a dollar, three dollars, ten dollars. And this is problematic. Bitcoin was supposed to be this great currency that was going to replace the dollar or was going to be the internet money, right? But as it as it turns out, there are some technological problems that Bitcoin has that I believe are some limitations. Bitcoin Cash can solve that. There's other, uh, there's some innovations that organizations like Blockstream, for example, are adding on top of Bitcoin in order to basically do the whole currency thing separately. That's come to fruition. I was never a big subscriber to it, um, but we're not going to get on the details of that. But the point is you need to be pay attention to the transaction fee. We're going to do some transactions and send and receive some crypto here in a second, and I'll point all that stuff out. So obviously a currency is a great use for crypto or for, yeah, for crypto and for blockchains because it allows you to send money globally without having to have a central authority step in the way. It allows you to send money almost instantly. Many blockchains have like a two-minute block instead of 10 minutes for a verification. Uh, anywhere, whatsoever, to anyone. Which, so that's a great innovation. That's a great, that's a great tool, especially if you're an agorist and you want to avoid the prying eye of the state. For example, whenever you travel out of the country with more than $10,000, you're required to report that to the Customs and Border Patrol folks. Well, if you have a big fat stack of money, then that's kind of difficult. Or you try to wire yourself or wire someone else over $10,000 through banks, then that raises a little flag and they got to fill out a report, maybe even a suspicious activity report. But with crypto, you can simply get a paper wallet, put it in your pocket and board the plane and then go unload the paper wallet onto a computer, another wallet, and send it to someone. Or there's even something called a brain wallet where you remember a phrase that you come up with and then you fly with it and then you go, you download a program in another country and then you put in the brain wallet phrase and boom, you get access to your currency. So that's super cool. Uh, But most important of all, like I said before, the great innovation is that you don't need to rely on a central authority in order to verify the authenticity of the transaction or keep your money safe. You can essentially be your own bank. And that's the big, big innovation, like I was saying. Uh, Crypto can be a ledger where information or data is stored, like titles for a property, for example. We don't even really need to have the county authority that registers a property in the form of a title anymore. Titles can be stored on these tokens. And then if you have access to the private key, then you're the one that has legitimate ownership over that title, over that little financial instrument. I should say, we're going to get into this more in depth. Each Bitcoin uh, wallet, the Bitcoin wallet is a computer program that interfaces with the Bitcoin blockchain, and it generates public addresses and private keys. The public address is essentially like your account number. That's what you use. You give it to people and they send you Bitcoin or crypto to that public address. You have a private key which unlocks and allows you to access the crypto on this public address to send it out to other people. You never want to show anyone this private key. Super duper duper private. All right. You also don't want to store a significant amount of crypto on any wallets where the company that manages the wallet or the service has access to the private key. You want to have what's called a non-custodial wallet. 
where no one but you has access to that private key. I'm going to talk about some of these tips and stuff here in a little bit. For example, Coinbase or Cash App or even PayPal, which which are easy ways to obtain crypto, they all have access to your private key. So you have to trust them, right? And if you're doing something that maybe the government doesn't like, or if you're trying to skirt your taxes or something like that, and you have your crypto stored on Coinbase, then the IRS could subpoena Coinbase, get a court order, they could seize your crypto. It's absolutely critical that if you're going to be storing a significant amount of cryptocurrency, that you only do so on a wallet where only you have access to that private key. Super, super important. A lot of people trade Bitcoin and they trade cryptocurrencies and alternative cryptocurrencies on an exchange. And those exchanges go under and then they just lose all their cryptocurrencies. This has happened a numerous amount of times. So there's that. Another thing, too, a lot of people aren't aware. This is a huge hurdle for people that you do not need to buy a whole Bitcoin. You can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin, a tenth of a Bitcoin would be $1,800 right now. Uh, A hundredth of a Bitcoin would be $180. You can buy fractions all the way down to eight decimal points, 0.0000001 is called a Satoshi. It's the smallest decimal point. That's why there, even though there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin mined, I'm going to talk about this when I talk about why I'm very bullish on Bitcoin and think that Bitcoin is going to continue to go up in value. The price can just change how much a given good or service is compared to the price of Bitcoin. We can go all the way down to 0.0000001. I don't know how to say that little in a decimal or a percentage, but so the the price of Bitcoin can scale even though there's a limited amount of coins. Because there's a limited amount of coins, supply and demand is kicking in. People are already anticipating that the blocks aren't going to continue to create the Bitcoin network isn't going to continue to create Bitcoin. There's only going to be a finite amount. And I should say a significant number of those Bitcoins have been lost early on. People were just mining them out. It was like crypto geeks that were the only ones using this internet of money. No one was even buying anything with it. It had literally had no economic value, no dollar value. A lot of that stuff got lost. Okay. Something that Let me just hit this question here. Karen says, what percentage of Bitcoin should be in Bitcoin Cash and what percentage should be in Bitcoin? You know, I've changed my thinking on this. I would say the first thing for people to do is to just get a whole Bitcoin. Set that as a goal. I've been telling people to get to the left of the decimal point since Bitcoin was like $100. I would say get to the left of the decimal point as fast as you can before it's almost impossible or extremely difficult to get to the left of the decimal point, right? So you have 1.00, get to the left of that decimal point. And now one Bitcoin is $18,000 and not everyone has the ability to get to the left of the decimal point, but you will. And this is why it's important to have a high, high income and have expendable income as well. So for now, to be honest, Karen, my instinct now is to just get you a whole Bitcoin, If you want to get in Bitcoin cash as a hedge against Bitcoin, then perhaps an 80-20 ratio, right? I don't think that Bitcoin cash is going to overtake Bitcoin as the predominant cryptocurrency out there. There was a time when maybe it would have. It was uncertain because Bitcoin cash is better for use as a currency for buying stuff online, for buying and selling goods and services with your buddies because sometimes Bitcoin gets congested. For example, I sold $30 worth of Kratom to someone at an event I was at recently, and they were using the Jax wallet, and you can't always adjust. You can't, I don't think you can put a custom transaction fee in. The transaction fee is a market mechanism that 
allows people to put a higher transaction fee so that they get a higher precedence when it comes to being included in that next block and getting your transaction confirmed at least once. And on a $30 transaction, the default transaction fee was $3. That's 10%. That's a lot of money. That's more than a credit card that does like 2% fees or whatever. So I don't think in spite of that, what, what, what it's really shaping up to be is that Bitcoin is shaping up to be like the gold reserve cryptocurrency. Bitcoin isn't the currency that everyone thought it was going to be. Now, there could be some innovations and some changes that take place. There's something called Lightning Network where they want to do transactions on top of the Bitcoin blockchain, essentially. It no longer becomes purely decentralized, and I'm not a big fan of that. But um, essentially, think of Bitcoin as like the gold that's a hedge against other investments, against the stock market, against the US dollar, for example. That's what a lot of people are getting into cryptocurrency these days. You can still sell the Bitcoin. You can still send the Bitcoin. You can hold Bitcoin cash to buy things so you can help create liquidity in the market. One thing that I did early on, I don't know if I mentioned this, I meant to talk a little bit about my history. We're already going quite quite long here, and I got a lot of stuff I want to cover, but um, the mother of my kids and I, we would travel around the country back in 2013, 2014, 2015 using cryptocurrency only, and we were really putting the crypto ecosystem to the test. The experiment was, can a family of four drive around in their big converted school bus, the Bitcoin.com bus, and live on cryptocurrency only. And by golly, it was pretty damn difficult, but we managed to pull it off. And it certainly got easier year by year as we continued to do it. But um, so that was pretty cool. Okay, another thing, this is a way that I think crypto is going to be used in the future in large part because of the fiasco that's taking place right now with the 2020 presidential election. I, for one, think that there's fraud and chicanery in almost every single election. And there's just somebody that's calling it out now and Donald Trump. But crypto blockchain technology is a great way to conduct elections. There's sophisticated ways you could do it, but the long and short of it is, okay, it's election day. Each person that's registered to vote, or maybe every single citizen that's of age, they get sent. They, they have an address that maybe when they get their driver's license or when they register to vote, they get an address. Bloop, right? Now it's time to vote for this particular race. They get sent a token to that address. Each candidate has their own address, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Jojo Jorgensen, Green Party, whatever. You have your address and you have that private key only you have access to. You send your token to whatever candidate you want to win. The entire transact, the entire trail is auditable, audible, right? And if it's pseudonymous where they don't know who gets each address, then you can't say like, hey, you voted for Donald Trump. We're going to come kick your door down. But there's all that's not the best way that it would work. That's just a simple way to explain it. Blockchain voting, I think, is going to really come into fruition big time. Uh, another thing is what's called a DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. You can create decentralized companies, essentially, that don't have a board of directors and they function in the marketplace. One great example is Dash, another cryptocurrency. It stands for digital cash. Dash along with Bitcoin Cash are great options for actually sending and receiving and doing business. Now, Dash is really cool and innovative. Dash was a clone of Bitcoin. So the Bitcoin software code, it's all open source. I should say this is something cool that people, if people ever want to check this out, the uh, original white paper by Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever that is, Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. 
A purely peer-to-peer version of electronic cash would allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution. Digital signatures provide part of the solution, but the main benefits are lost if a trusted third party is still required to prevent double spending. We propose a solution to the double spending problem using a peer-to-peer network. The network timestamps transactions by hashing them into an ongoing chain of hash-based proof-of-work, forming a record that cannot be changed without redoing the proof-of-work. The longest chain not only serves as proof of sequence of events witnessed, but proof that it came from the largest pool of CPU power. As long as a majority of CPU power is controlled by nodes that are not cooperating to attack the network, they'll generate the longest chain and outpace attackers. The network itself requires minimal structure. Messages are broadcast on a best effort basis, and nodes can leave and rejoin the network at will, accepting the longest proof of work chain as of what happened while they were gone. Proof of work is a concept in mining. There's different ways that transactions are verified and there's different systems that back up a different cryptocurrency. There's proof of work where the Bitcoin miners, they prove that they did all of the work to verify the transactions and to solve this little puzzle to earn the right to solve the next block. Right. And then there's proof of stake where the you hold on to the currency, you keep your currency staked in one of your wallet addresses. And by doing so, you earn coins. And that's how new currency is generated. This gets into a lot of nuances and details. A lot of this stuff you don't really have to know, just like you don't know how the hell you get dollars out of the ATM. And when you pull out your credit card or debit card, there's a lot of complex stuff that takes place. Or when you mail someone a check, and then they cash the check. There's a whole system that a lot of people don't know how the hell it operates. You don't really need to know the nuts and bolts of a lot of this stuff in order to understand it, in order to gain value from it, in order to invest in it. But essentially, check this out. Dash is a decentralized autonomous organization, and they have what's called the Dash Treasury. I pointed out that Bitcoin white paper because Satoshi released his open source code and then other cryptocurrencies took the code, innovated on it, changed it, edited it. There's all sorts of different clones from the original Bitcoin cryptocurrency. Ethereum, for example, is an entirely different blockchain, not based on Bitcoin. Okay, And so Dash has this DAO treasury where every, I don't know how often it happens, but there are a certain number of Dash coins that are available to be spent on projects to benefit the network, the Dash network. And you can put in a proposal that you send to the Dash DAO. And the proposal is like, this is something that we did back in the day. We got a sponsorship for one of our tours. And the proposal was like, hey, we would like the Dash network to sponsor our tour. And we're going to do this. We're going to visit here. We're going to do these marketing stuff. This, that, and the other. I think, no, actually, I think what we did was we did a Dash stage at the bookstore, Brave New Books. And it's like, Dash will be sponsored. We'll, every time we do an event at Brave New Books, we will mention Dash. We'll put signage up in the front. We'll set people up with Dash wallets. We'll give away some of the Dash. We also, I also did this thing, Dash to adopt, uh, Dash to, what's it called, Dash to adoption, where I tried to get 100 businesses to accept Dash. I came up short. I wasn't able to accomplish that. And so you put in a proposal and you say, I would like X number of Dash and I'll complete this. And the people that have what's called master nodes, they hold a whole lot of Dash. They can then vote on which proposals they want to approve. And if your proposal gets approved, the Dash network, this Dash treasury that's decentralized, it actually pays out money to your Dash address. Pretty cool. So essentially you can do contract business with a cryptocurrency. I don't know what the 1099 rules are for that, but this is some new innovative stuff. And that's an example of a decentralized autonomous organization using cryptocurrency. Now, there's one thing I want to say. 
because I apparently I'm buffering. So let me know if you can still hear me on some of the things. If uh, you can check me out on Facebook also, if I'm buffering on YouTube, it looks like. Um, here is something that's concerning for me as I research further the Great Reset and the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Blockchain technology at one time, at blockchain technology can at the same time be utilized for liberating humanity by creating a digital decentralized way to exchange value where we can have title, we can do all sorts of stuff, not relying on government, right? But at the same time, blockchain technology is being used by the globalist puppet masters. And what their plans are, are for every single human being to have a blockchain identity where it's this blockchain ID that enables them to buy and sell goods and services. It's this blockchain ID where their social services are doled out on. It's this blockchain ID where a token is sent that says you have your immunity for COVID so you can travel on public transportation or board an airplane. It's not good. So that's something to watch out for. But as free people, we're going to opt out of that. For example, here in Austin, there's this program called MyPass, and it's being furthered and funded by the ID2020 program and the Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance. There, there's tax-exempt foundations that are working with the city of Austin. What they want to start by doing is cataloging and taxing, cataloging and identifying all the homeless people so they can check in that they're vaccinated, that their immunity is in. They can also check in that they have their social services doled out. This is all happening right now. This is the goal of New World Order 2.0. So we just got to be aware of that. And so one thing that blockchain can also be used for is blockchain identification. But we're not going to go along with that. We're not doing it. It literally is the mark of the beast. Ain't going to have it. A lot of people are like, cryptocurrency was created by the NSA. There's this NSA white paper that talks about a peer-to-peer digital currency, right? But it doesn't have the innovation of the decentralized distributed network. It doesn't have the innovation of the proof of work. It's not the same thing. I highly doubt that Satoshi Nakamoto is the NSA or some shadowy figure. I believe that this technology came onto the scene and caught the world by surprise, including the government, including the puppet masters. However, seeing how they could take advantage of this technology and utilize it for their own nefarious ends, they too are furthering this. Just like a firearm or the internet can be used for positive change, for waking people up, for defending your family from armed invaders, so too, or your country, so too can cryptocurrency and guns be in the internet be used for nefarious purposes. So I just wanted to throw that out there because that's definitely coming down the pike and to ignore it would be ignorant of us. Okay, I'm not going to speed it up. Let's just keep cruising even if we go a little bit over an hour. Thank you everyone for tuning in again. This is John Bush on the Live Free Now show. You can find my podcast and you can subscribe at livefreenow.show, livefreenow.show. I bring you news, views, tips, and tools you can use. Live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. If you're watching us online or Facebook, please share this with your friends. If you appreciate what you have to say, if you see that um, I do in fact have a pretty wealth of knowledge on this stuff, I invite you to check out the uh, service that I'm offering where I can help you hold your hand one-on-one, you and me, at least for an hour, and we can work together, and I will help you to book a time one-on-one for an hour with cryptocurrency consultation. Again, I'm going to give away all sorts of information free of charge on my program because I want to help people. Um but we'll show you how to do all that stuff. All right, let's get back to it. Let me show you, but there's a whole lots of different coins. The best website, you know what I did here is I opened up too many damn windows to help with you guys. The best website 
to see all the different coins and what they're worth is coinmarketcap.com. So this is pretty cool here. The market cap, market cap is the number of tokens or coins in circulation times the value of the coins. And this, there's also market caps. It's how you value companies, for example. So check it out. The whole cryptocurrency market cap is $522 billion, $522 billion. Bitcoin is a significant portion of that coming in at $345 billion. To put things in perspective, the market cap of PayPal is $227 billion. So essentially, there's more value in Bitcoin than there is in PayPal, which is pretty freaking exciting. Byrne is saying CoinGecko is better. Yeah, CoinGecko is a good one too. And there's all sorts of analysis that you can do using CoinGecko. CoinGecko. So that's pretty cool. Check out CoinGecko as, as well. Okay, so there's Bitcoin. That's the most predominant. There's Ethereum that comes in at second. USD Tether. There's these coins that are used primarily by exchanges and they peg to the dollar. So you, you go in, you hold your USD Tether and you use USD Tether to get in and out of other coins, hopefully to make a profit. Ripple, XRP is a really popular one. Now, if you're a consistent anarchist and agorist, you might not want to get involved with Ripple because this essentially Ripple could become the backbone of the financial, um, a lot of financial devices and institutions like ATMs or when money gets cleared or people send money over overseas, international or wire transfer. But as an investment opportunity, it's only 32 cents a coin. Now, there are a whole lot of coins. Look, here's the number of coins that are in circulation. See that? Look, there's already 18 million coins in circulation when it comes to Bitcoin. There's only ever going to be 21 million. That's part of the reason why the price is skyrocketing. It's also going up high because PayPal just started allowing you to buy and sell Bitcoin, which is pretty phenomenal. Not to mention with all of the uncertainty and tumult, 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 tumultuous, tumult, 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 <laughs> with all of that going on with the presidential election, People perhaps are a little bit uh, worried about the U.S. dollar, perhaps. You know, all this great reset stuff, a lot of their language is like, is the U.S. going to be the predominant powerhouse, right? They may kick it over to China. Is the dollar going to be the predominant world reserve currency, right? So a lot of this globalist stuff, they're not fond of the U.S. dollar and they're working to to undermine it. So just be aware of that. That might play a role in some of some of the growth of Bitcoin's price. Bitcoin Cash, of course, is a, the most popular fork from Bitcoin. Roger Ver, who's an early Bitcoin adopter and one of the very first crypto investors and companies, he was big on Bitcoin Cash. Again, Bitcoin Cash is very similar to Bitcoin, except you can have more transactions per block, which means that the transaction fees are often next to nothing. You, it's more of a currency, Bitcoin Cash. It's like Bitcoin, but with cash. Litecoin is also a clone of Bitcoin. It's one of the most popular ones. It was one of the very early crypto coins to come along. Huge community, huge network around it. When you examine a crypto coin and you want to get involved in all sorts of different coins, and there's so many different altcoins. At one point, I was holding like 20 or 30, right? Um, you, one of the most important factors are, are there developers that are still actively working on it? And is there a network effect, right? If someone's like, you got to try out my new coin, my new coin, it's the best. It's the cat's pajamas. But then there's like 12 dudes that are trading it. That's not important. But if there's a whole lot of interest, if there's websites, if there's subreddits, if there's Twitter debates, if there's meetups, then that means there's a network effect that there's actual practical utility. It's not just some vaporware coin that no one's ever going to use. And so Litecoin has that look like I'm in 
polka dot. I don't know what the hell that is. Binance coin. This is a coin that they pay you using Binance, one of the more popular legitimate exchanges. Cardano is really popular. Bitcoin Satoshi's vision. This was another fork from Bitcoin. EOS is similar to Ether. So this one has a lot of opportunity for uh, mining, right? And then there's Monero. Monero is a privacy coin. So for you agorists out there and even folks that want to invest in crypto, privacy coins have a whole lot of value. Originally, everyone thought that Bitcoin would be this anonymous coin, anonymous cryptocurrency that people could trade and do nefarious things with. Well, as I personally learned at the Ross Ulbricht trial, I went to the Ross Ulbricht trial to cover it for the Liberty Beat. They did some hardcore FBI and private contracted forensic analysis on the Bitcoin blockchain. And it turns out that it's not as anonymous as people thought. It's pseudonymous, but unless you really cover your tracks with Bitcoin mixing, where you send a bunch of transactions together and they all mix up and they go to all these different places to obfuscate the receiver and the sender, um, then it can be broken down and understood where it originated from. And it's likely even in the Ross Ulbricht trial, it was speculated that the National Security Administration or the National Security Agency, the NSA got involved in cracking some of that stuff as well to hunt down Ross Ulbricht, who's still in prison serving double life sentences, something like that. But Monero is something that they cannot crack. The IRS just recently came out and said, we will give a, a, a reward to someone that can crack Monero for us. So Monero is the currency of the dark web. Monero is a currency that I expect as surveillance on cryptocurrencies continues to go up, Monero may be a good one that will continue to gain in value or be a predominant coin because it is a very private coin. But as you can see, look, you just keep on going. There are so many freaking tokens, so many new ones, some that I used to know about, some that I used to hold, some that are brand new, man. But really, at the end of the day, look, when you are buying crypto as an investment or a hedge against other things, you really want to stay in the top five or 10, right? Now, I will say that smaller market cap coins have a greater ability to double, triple, quadruple, 10x, 100x in value, okay? So if you're chasing after big gains, it's easier for a coin that has a $10 billion market cap to 10x, right, to $100 billion, than it is for a coin that has a $345 billion market cap, like Bitcoin, to 10x. That would be $3.45 trillion, right? There's a lot of, you know, in it's like impossible for a lot of that stuff to happen when you consider the actual money supply, right? So something to consider. If you want to do a basket, I would do a basket of the big coins. And then a smaller like investment, like, hey, maybe maybe some of these will take off. I see the potential. I see the unique innovation. What makes it unique? I see that the developers are talented and committed. And I see that there's a network effect with people excited around it. There's coverage. There's articles being written about it. There's news. Maybe it's punk poking into the mainstream. I do want to say I'm not an investment advisor. I'm not licensed or certified. This is all for entertainment and educational purposes. Uh, I should say throw that out there. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the other big tip is of course, never invest more in any of this than you're willing to lose. Okay. Because while it's highly unlikely crypto could come crashing down all the way down to zero, or you could invest a whole lot of money and it all just disappears because Bitcoin goes from 18,000 to 10,000. Right. And then you're pretty SOL. But the important thing is to hold on for dear life because this is a long-term investment. 
I'm going to talk about some of those tips and strategies. All right, I've been taking some time here. Here's why I think Bitcoin's going to the moon, because it does have practical, functional utility. Uh, it does have all sorts of interest. It does have a huge network effect. There's institutional money that's starting to get in. Big hedge funds and stuff are starting to put their money into uh, Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency space to serve as a hedge. There's super duper rich, wealthy people that are putting in 5%, 10% of their income. There's big hedge funds, billion dollar hedge funds that are investing a significant portion of their having their holdings be in Bitcoin. So not to mention it's been proven to work, right? Although it struggles as a currency because of what we talked about, the network congestion that drives the the mining fees up, the transaction fees. But it has stood the test of time. And there's a finite amount. There's only going to be 21 million. Over 18 million of those have already been mined. That's what people are paying attention to, the supply and demand. The less of something you have, the less the supply and the higher demand, the price goes up. Okay, That's another thing to pay attention to if you're considering all sorts of different coins. Um, if there's going to be a ton of them that are just shelled out, then there's less scarcity. It may hurt the value. Okay, now let's get into the wallets. You know, cryptocurrency is so hot, I should just do a whole series because this is like an overview where I'm just spilling my guts on everything. And I can get more in-depth on some of this stuff. Um, but here's different types of wallets. Let me go ahead and show you my notes here. Different types of wallets. There's hard drive wallets like Ethereum that you download and you store on your computer's hard drive. There's mobile apps like Coinobi. Bitcoin.com has a good one. Jax is a popular one. If you're watching from the survival podcast community, shout out Jack Spirico, shout out his 2020 workshop. But Jack, uh, Jack pushes Jax. I don't know if because it sounds like his name or what. I'm a fan of Coinomi. I have found Coinomi to be one of the easiest ones to use. There's also one called Edge, which is formerly Airbits. Paul Pui, they have some really great in innovations when it comes to privacy and security. I'm a fan of Coinomi. It's a multi-wallet, so it allows you to hold a multitude of different coins, including Monero, which isn't always on a bunch of uh, multi-wallets. So Coinomi is what I use because it's really easy. It's got a simple user interface. It's easy to back up, download everything. I'm a big fan of Coinomi. There's also hardware wallets like KeepKey and Trezor is a popular one. This is a physical device that stores your private keys. And the cool thing of why these are more secure, these hardware wallets, is because whenever you go to send a transaction and to sign your signature, your private key on a transaction, the private key never engages or never goes onto the computer that's connected to the internet. So you have an extra layer of security. It only stays on that device, right? These things cost, I don't know how much they cost nowadays, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. Um, I will say if you're like total uh, Luddite and you're not super comfortable with computers, while the hardware wallet has a lot of great security features and privacy features, I do believe that having to interface with that particular device could cause some hurdles and you could ha have some hiccups. I personally used a keep key and you know, I'm pretty sophisticated when it comes to all this stuff. I I still think it might be easier to have a hardware a hard drive wallet or Coinomi on your mobile app for example. As long as you back it up and encrypt it, which we're going to talk about here in a second, then you should be okay and good to go. You can also have a paper wallet. I wish I had one to show you. Let's just do this real quick. Uh paper wallet generator. Now, if you're going to go to a random website that's a wallet generator, you want to be you want to be you want to not just go to a random site because who knows if it's bogus. But this is what a wallet generator site looks like. 
no, oh, wrong thing here. Okay, so one thing that you can do is you can download the HTML file for this website and you can run this wallet generating program offline, not connected to the internet. Back in the day at Brave New Books, we would generate these offline cold storage paper wallets with a computer, a netbook that never connected to the internet that had a jump drive that ran a program. It might even have been this exact program. But let me show you how it works. So you're, I'm moving this around to create randomness, as you can see, right? So we keep moving it, generating new address. Move your mouse around to add some extra randomness. Okay, now here we have, this is a paper wallet. You can print it out and it looks like this right here, okay? Let me show you just the nuts and bolts. This is a public address. This is the address that you send to people. It's essentially like your account number, kind of. And this is your private key. It's the private key that you use to sign the transaction to verify that you're the legitimate owner so you can send crypto out. Look, you can also do bulk wallets. Oh, check this out. You can do a brain wallet. This is how you can hold crypto completely private and you don't even have to have anything physical. Now, just be aware if you get in a car accident and lose your memory and stuff, you could be in trouble. This is how you print out the paper wallet. So that's pretty cool. So a paper wallet is another type of wallet that you can simply hold, put it in your safe, make a copy of it, give to your significant other, your loved one or whatever. Uh, so you have double backup. And then finally, cold storage, like I said, cold storage is it's you generate a wallet, never having touched the Internet. And then the purpose is just to put the big bulk crypto on it and set it aside. It's never touched the Internet. It's totally private, super safe and secure. OK, so now I'm going to go through. I don't know if my boy Mike Riverbare is still tuned in, but uh, uh, he's a good friend of mine here in Central Texas, and I think he's been waiting for this moment. So what we're going to do is I'm going to download a Electrum wallet, and I'm going to show you the ins and outs of a hard drive wallet. That's what I call it. There's probably another name for them, but I call it a hard drive wallet because it's a wallet that's stored on your hard drive, on your PC desktop. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. This is a wallet that I recommend. In fact, if you book a consultation, this is probably one of the best ways to go. I'll either set you up on a Coinomi wallet or I'll set you up on an Electrum wallet. And I'll give you all the ins and outs on how to back it up safely and security to ensure that it's foolproof. Like I said, when I do these consultations, we are ensuring that your crypto is safe from thieves and hackers and even the federal government. But we're also ensuring, more importantly, that it's foolproof from you. There are so many instances of user error and they're like, I forgot my password. Bitcoin's a scam. It's a terrible thing. There's no 1-800 number you can call to reset your password when it comes to Bitcoin. It's decentralized. OK, now some of these services like Coinbase have that type of technology. But if you're going it on your own, right, with great freedom comes great responsibility. That's one thing I'm going to teach you right now. But again, if you want me to hold your hand, I do offer one on one consultations. I'm busting them out again because everyone's interested after I show you about these wallets, we're coming up on time, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to give you some insight on when to buy, when to hold, when to sell, right? Because, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm going to offer this up because everyone's talking about it. And it's on people's minds. But I just want to point out that I've been encouraging people to get involved in crypto since 2012, 2013. Literally been telling people to get to the left of a decimal point since then. And now when Bitcoin is about to break another all-time high, Everyone is all of a sudden super excited about it again. So I just want to point out that the best thing to do isn't to buy high and to sell low, right? Or to buy at the peak. Now, that being said, 
it's better to buy some than to not buy any at all, right? Or to go back to sleep about it or to go back to work and life happens, okay? We're going to talk about some strategies like dollar cost averaging and buying the dips so I can show you on a on a micro level and a macro level when is an appropriate time to buy. That being said, if you have money that you invest in this, that, or the other, stock markets, here, there, hedge funds, whatever, or you have expendable income that you're looking to invest, I still think that it's a good thing to purchase cryptocurrency. But again, like the best thing, that's not the best thing to do to buy, to invest all your money when it's at the top. That being said, it's good to go ahead and get a firm understanding and maybe shore up some of it. So it's like when it goes back down, you're ready. You have your Coinbase account set up or you have your PayPal account set up to do all that stuff or Cash App, for example. Okay. Injustice Hurley says, different topic. Sorry, but Freedom Cell Network sign up. Not working. Myself and a mate both tried. We understand. Derek and I are well aware. We both get contacted uh, numerous times throughout the day. We are working on it. We just brought on some developers that are more committed and that are active figuring that out. Join the Telegram groups. I've put them elsewhere. There's other things you can do besides the website. And you can go ahead and get started with all the principles and philosophies if you have your buddy without the website. The website's just a tool. Okay. Which exchange, which websites do you recommend for doing fiat exchanges with crypto? Which is better? I mean, at the end of the day, Coinbase is one of the best ones. I should have started this earlier, how to obtain Bitcoin. Like the best way to get Bitcoin is to either do a peer-to-peer transaction with someone you trust or like a group that you trust or to the best way is to receive Bitcoin or crypto in exchange for goods and services. That way it's autonomous. It's you. You're selling your widgets. You're selling your services. That's the best way to get it, in my opinion. To if you, well, you got to be an entrepreneur oftentimes to do that. It's another reason why entrepreneurship is really important. But at the end of the day, Coinbase is simple, safe, and secure. Now, they do know your customer checks. So you got to put your personally identifiable information, scan a picture of your driver's license. And they've been subpoenaed by the IRS. They fought them in court, so I give them that. They put up a fight. They didn't have to put up a fight. They spent a lot of money on lawyers fighting the IRS in court, but ultimately they turned over information about people and their investments that didn't file it. The IRS considers cryptocurrency as a property. And whenever you acquire property and that property goes up in value, they want you to pay taxes on that difference, right? So there's multiple implications. Whenever you buy crypto, 10000 sell crypto, 18000 it's an $8,000 gain that they want to tax you on, right? Fucking IRS, man. But, you know, crypto makes it easier for you to be a sovereign and you make those choices on what you're going to do with your money when you want to do what you do with your money. So that's that. Okay, let's go ahead and download this Ethereum wallet. I'm sorry, Electrum wallet. And then I'm going to talk about when to buy, when not to buy, and how to acquire crypto. So we might go another 10 minutes or so. All right. So this is the wallet that I recommend. To get it, we're going to go to Electrum. Electrum Bitcoin wallet. Here's a pro tip. Anytime you're downloading something or going to websites, make sure it's the actual website and not a, a, a Electrum.net. Make sure it's legit. You can go verify reviews. You can go get advice. Make sure there's not anything funny about the URL because hackers, when it comes to crypto, they are all over things. Look, do not download Electrum from another source than Electrum.org, right? So this is really important. Look, forgiving. You can, your funds can be recovered with a secret phrase. All right, so this is, this is one that I recommend. We're going to go ahead and download it now. I think, you know, everyone, this is going to be on everyone's mind for a while. So I'm going to do other videos in the future where it's just like how to download a Bitcoin wallet, stuff like that. But for now, we're 
just busting it all out at once. All right, so we're going to download Windows. So we're going to do the standalone executable. Okay. Now we're going to open up our little wallet file. In doing this, I'm going to try to teach you so you have some knowledge that applies to other wallets as well because the principles are essentially the same. Okay. So here we go. Thanks for tuning in again, by the way. I strongly encourage you to subscribe to my podcast at livefreenow.show, livefreenow.show. If you're watching on Facebook and YouTube, I promise you I'm going to set up a library in Bitcoin, uh, library in Odyssey and BitChute and all that stuff soon too. Okay, sorry if this is hard to read there on the screen. I can't zoom in on here. How do you want to connect to a server? We're going to auto-connect. We are going to call the wallet our default wallet, whatever. Uh, you can download the file in a specific spot, okay? We're going to set up a standard wallet. There's other options. You can set up a wallet with two-factor authentication, so you have to check in. It sends a code here or there. I don't know how exactly the two-factor goes on this one. I don't use the two-factor authentication because it's encrypted. There's other things. You can do a multi-signature wallet where, let's say, for example, you have a board of directors. There's five people on your board of directors. Each one of them gains a little piece of the private key. Then it's only when three out of them or all five of them, I don't know if you can do three out of five actually, but it's only when all five of them come together with their little pieces of the private key that you can then sign the transaction. Super cool stuff. You can also import Bitcoin addresses or private keys. That's another reason why I like Electrum. It makes it easy if you have an existing wallet to export the private keys or the wallet file and then import it into this one. This is like super basic. This is based on the one of the originals, very similar to the original Bitcoin computer program wallet that was created by Satoshi and that started it all. Okay, do you want to create a new seed or restore a wallet using an existing seed? Seeds are extremely important. Now we're getting to where the rubber meets the road. Whether you have a hardware wallet, whether you have a cell phone wallet, or you have a desktop wallet, that's what I should call it instead of a hard drive wallet, a desktop wallet. There's something called a seed. A seed is usually 12 random words that are generated. The cool thing about the seed is you write it down on paper, not on your phone. Don't store it on your desktop computer. These are these valuable tips, okay? You write down the 12 words. You go and you put them in your safe, under your bed, whatever. Now, if your computer becomes corrupted, if there's a fire in your house, Obviously, you have a fireproof safe. If you're in a boating accident, you lose all your crypto and you write it off as a loss on your taxes, then um, all you have to do on another computer is download Electrum, put in that seed, and voila, you have access to all the public addresses and private keys that you had before and all the crypto that's been stored on those public addresses. I've done this before. I've had a smartphone drop, crack, breaks. Don't freak. I didn't freak out even though I had some crypto on it, because all I had to do was get my new smartphone, download the same wallet, enter the seed, and boom, the crypto's there again. I've done this with Electrum. Oh my God, the Electrum wallet's not working. Something happened, it's corrupted. Good thing I have the wallet.dat file. Good thing I wrote down my private seed. And good thing I have my private keys. There's a triple backup I'm gonna teach you about, including encryption. There's my power four. This would make another good video Four ways to... Idiot proof your wallet is what I could call it. All right, so we're going to create a new seed. Now here's segregated witness or legacy. Segregated witness is a new type of technology with crypto that is going to power the lightning network. We're going to go with legacy. Most people are still using legacy. And so that's what we're going to do. 
Okay, now don't try to write this down because I'm not going to ever have any crypto on it. But here we have our seed. It's just random words, 12 random words. Please save these 12 words on paper. Order is important. This seed will allow you to recover your wallet in case of computer failure. Never disclose your seed. Never type it on a website. Do not store it electronically. All good advice. I don't think you could even copy and paste it. They want you to literally write it down. So I'm going to copy and paste it into a web browser. Again, don't do this. Do not do this if you are setting this Ethereum Electrum wallet up. I want you to write it down on paper. Don't do this little... Oh, I'm not even able to do that. So I don't have paper. So we're going to do this together. Oh, I already wrote it down here. Just give me one second, folks. All right, let's do it together. Next. They always make you verify, which is good. They make you verify to make sure you didn't screw it up or write the word down. So we are going to write these down. Plunge. Try to keep it interesting. Try to keep talking so I don't lose you on the feed. Again, I want to thank you for tuning in. I uh, have done content creation my whole life, but for a while I leaned back into my business and my family. And now I'm super grateful to be back creating content. And it's because of you that I do this because I want to reach you, connect with you and improve our world. And cryptocurrency is a great way to improve your world and our world and decouple ourselves from the state. Okay. Fragile melt palm length pledge access potato you minute saddle code cancel. Okay. Well, for some, I did something wrong here. So what's that all about? Oh, did it just generate a new one? Here we go. Here we go. Let me see if I can paste it. There we go. Okay. So you write down that seed. All right. Now it's going to ask us to put in a password. Okay. The password, did you guys see my little phrase there? Your family is depending on you. No better reason to bring all your game all the time. That's from Grant Cardone. It's good stuff. Okay. We're going to write down a password. It's going to be one, two, three. <laughs> the password is one. Two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. That's the kind of password an idiot has on his luggage. Remind me to change the password on my luggage. Name that movie. Spaceballs. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, now this is encrypting the wallet file. So we have our seed. Step one, we have our seed. We stored it, not on the computer, not on our phone, safely and securely written down on paper. Now we're going to encrypt our wallet. Both of these things are the same thing that you do with most wallets and with a, with a phone wallet, which is a really popular way. You're going to encrypt the wallet. That way, if someone steals your phone, back in the day, you know, it, there was less worry because it's like, hey, I have a Bitcoin wallet on my phone back in 2013 or 2014. Nobody knew what the hell it was. It was just barely poking into mainstream consciousness. Now it's like if a thief steals your phone, it's probably the first thing they're looking for. Does this guy have a Bitcoin wallet? So if the thief steals your phone, the thief steals your phone and it's encrypted, they'll be like, holy shit, this guy's got $2,000 worth of Bitcoin. Let me send it to myself. And then when it's like, Enter your password. They don't know your password, so they can't take your coins. Your phone was stolen. Doesn't matter. You go back. You download the app on a new cell phone, and you use your private your seed, and boom, you're back in business. Okay. It's asking me to check for an update. We're not going to check for an update. Okay, so this is what the Electrum wallet looks like. I wish I could make it bigger. You guys are watching in full screen, huh? 
So here's how we use crypto. I'm going to do a transaction real quick. And it is a good movie. David likes that movie. There's there's all sorts of stuff. I used to watch it as a kid and there'd be all these like jokes like, I bet she gives, gives great helmet. Lord Helmet would say that. And I'd be laughing like, ha, 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 ha. And I'm like eight or nine. And I bet my dad was like, why the hell is he laughing at that joke? <laughs> anyway, I digress. Okay, so this is the wallet. You have your history of your transactions, which will go here. The amount that was sent and the balance. If you want to send crypto out of the wallet, you put someone's public address there and you can send it. You can receive Bitcoin by creating a new address. There's our new address. Here's a QR code. It's great with phones. You can scan it. Now, let me show you something. This is registering in millibit, which I think is a thousandth or a hundredth of a Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin's so expensive, sometimes it's easier to do transactions in millibit, which is a percentage of a Bitcoin. I don't like it. I like to just measure things in Bitcoin. A lot of phone wallets do this as well. So chances are, if you download a phone wallet, you're new to crypto and you're like, hey, I just got $50 worth of Bitcoin. It's like, what the hell's a millibit? I want to see how much Bitcoin I have so I can get to the left of the decimal point. So here's how we do that. Honestly, I don't even remember how to do that, but it's just so easy. We're going to figure it out. So you go to preferences. You go to zero. Here we go. Zeros after base unit Bitcoin. We're doing our base unit Bitcoin. You can even do Satoshis and measure it in Satoshis. Now, look, these the computer programs here are. They are waiting for Bitcoin to be like a million dollars. And we do have to transact things in Satoshis. How many Satoshis? How many millibits, right? But for now, it's best, it's easiest, especially if you're new, just to deal with Bitcoin. All right, so I'm going to send some money to it here with my wallet, okay? So I went to receive, and we are going to pull up my little wallet here, my Coinomi wallet. And I'm going to go over to my Bitcoin not going to show you how much is on here. And I went to send. Now I'm going to scan the wallet. I scanned the wallet. It pulled up the address. Now here is a tip. Here's a power tip. Every time I send and receive crypto, I double check the first two letters or numbers and the last two letters or numbers of the transaction. Now with most cryptos, if you send an incomplete address, it won't go through, but some of them it'll still send and it'll just get lost in the ether. Funny thing about Ethereum early on, right when it started, I didn't know that you had to put the zero and X at the beginning of a transaction. And I sent a transaction without the zero and X at the beginning of the address. And it literally got sent to the Ether. It was inaccessible. It didn't go where it needed to go. And it was a major bummer. Not cool. That's why, again, I'm doing these consultations. And you know the price, it's $75 an hour for consultation. That is because I have a lot of value to offer and a lot of wisdom and insights being involved in the crypto space. It's also because I believe my time is extremely valuable and I got a lot of stuff going on with my business, my family, my girlfriend, the garden on the side of the house, so on and so forth. But I do want to offer that up to you. And again, you can go to sovereignbtc.youcanbook.me, sovereignbtc.youcanbook.me, and we'll do all this stuff. I'll hold your hand, help you get set up on Coinbase, give you even more tips. Then you can hit me up. We can communicate, continue the conversation, and continue to get advice. Okay, so I'm going to send a uh, dollar worth of Bitcoin. Continue. And I want to tell you, I'm sending a dollar worth of Bitcoin. See, oftentimes it's like impossible to send a dollar because the transaction fee is $1.24. You see that? So the cool thing about the Coinomi wallet, I couldn't figure out how to do this on Jax. Um, you can do a custom amount. So I'm going to change the amount here to 10 Satoshis. Now it's 31 cents. Okay. So I'm going to send it. 
I hope this shows up. It should show up as an unconfirmed transaction. So now I'm sending Bitcoin to my little wallet here, typing in my password because my phone wallet is encrypted. Okay, because I encrypted in case someone steals it. Oh, no connection. I put it on airplane mode so nobody interrupts our uh, our broadcast here. Now, again, I'm doing a $1 transaction. You should be able to buy stuff for a dollar and not have a bloated transaction fee. That is a limitation to Bitcoin. One second here. Low confirm. Okay, now let's go ahead and send it. Default Bitcoin hash 160. I think that I need to do a segregated witness transaction. Okay, hold on one second. All right, we're running into a bit of a snag. See, this is one of my one of the reasons why I got a little jaded with cryptocurrency is I had a bunch of different altcoins and I had them stashed. And it came time like, okay, Bitcoin's price has gone up. Some of these altcoins have gone up and now I want to sell them. Well, a bunch of the coins no longer had development. A bunch of the coins had issues and I wasn't able to download the wallet. The wallets were defunct. There was bugs. There was all sorts of problems. And so I still think that there's a lot of growth and gains to happen with cryptocurrency. And maybe this PayPal moment will do just that because the price is going to continue to go up because there's going to be more people using it. There isn't yet the killer app. And again, maybe Bitcoin being integrated with PayPal is that. There's still some user error. There's still some hurdles to overcome. There's definitely still a knowledge gap, right? And so I think what's happening with this transaction is that at the beginning, I chose not to do segregated witness. And the when I'm trying to send it here, it might also be because it's a, do- a freaking dollar. When I'm trying to send it here, it's not going through because it may need to read a segregated witness new address. So I know that may be sound confusing and convoluted, but so that may be why it's not working. I'm going to try it one more time. And again, you confirm the first two and the last two of the address, 1FNG, 1FNG. All right, so we're going to send, now we'll send $5 worth. We're going to do low fee. Jesus, still $1.50. All right, here we go. Putting in my password because my wallet is encrypted. And even if someone stole my phone, they still wouldn't be able to take my coins. Okay, it's sent. I think what the deal was was that the the uh, mining fee was so low. Okay, so I tried to do a 31 cent one. I ended up doing a dollar one. So there goes $6. I hope you guys don't remember that seed. If anybody wants to right now, if they wrote down what that seed was, they could go tap into this wallet and they could take that money. But don't do that because it's my $6. I'm going to set it on here and forget it. And in two years, it's going to be $60. But as you can see on the history, here's the transaction. It's an unconfirmed transaction. This is what I sent to And one thing, this gets really complex and convoluted. Whenever you send a cryptocurrency transaction, it not only sends that little bit, but it sends the crypto that came in with the last transaction, and then it goes and sends it back. It's kind of complex. But here's something you could do too. If you sent your crypto, now you want to check on it to make sure that it's working and that it's going through. You can go to what's called a block explorer. 
blockchain.info is the most popular one. And you can check on the transaction using the address or using the um, the t- transaction ID. So we're looking at the transaction ID, and here you have the actual transaction. It's unconfirmed, right? So it may not get put into the next block because I did a lower transaction fee, but it's an unconfirmed transaction. So after 10 minutes, if it gets included in the right in this next block, then it'll show up with one confirmation. After 10 minutes more, it'll show up with three confirmations. So here's the nuts and bolts of the transaction. Here's something cool too. I don't know if they still show this, but you can see all the transactions coming in. Here's the latest blocks. Here's all the latest transactions that are trickling into the cryptocurrency ecosystem. Whoa, there's a $142,000 one. Kudos for that guy. Let's switch to Bitcoin and we can see. Where is Bitcoin? I can't see it in Bitcoin. Oh, there's the amount right there. Somebody just sent 1.3 Bitcoin, 1.88 Bitcoin, some high rollers, seven Bitcoin. There's a $67,000 transaction. Okay, let me finish up with some of my stuff here. Okay, so that's an that's a Electrum wallet. That's how to keep it safe. There's four things. You write down your seed. You encrypt the wallet. You download the wallet.dat file. I didn't do that. Download your wallet.dat file. Go to file. You go to save a backup. You can choose where you want to do it. And you can save yourself a wallet.dat file. That's a backup. You can import that wallet.dat file to another wallet. So there's three. And then the fourth thing you can do is you can write down or you can save your private keys. Let me see where to do that one. Wallet, private keys, export. Okay, my password. Okay, so now it's generating all the private keys. I'm not showing you this here. These are the private keys. You can screenshot, you could go in and grab all that stuff and you'll be able to access the crypto there. So there's four things with any wallet that I advise you to do. Some of them won't allow you to do all four things, but you write, you write down your seed, you encrypt your wallet, you back up the wallet file. And if you're on your phone, don't leave the backup on your phone. But the thing is, if you encrypt the wallet file when you wrote down your password, then even if someone gets access to that wallet file, they're still going to need the password in order to access the coins on it and, and the private keys. And then the last thing is to export your private keys and write them down. You'll have a public address private key combination. You can take those and import them into any wallet without the seed, without all that stuff. So there's four ways to be extra safe and secure. Again, if you do a cryptocurrency consultation, I'll step you through those four steps if we're able to with each wallet. I'll step it, step you through how to do it with Electrum. Or we'll do a phone wallet or I'll help you with the treasure or whatever. Okay, now. I showed you how to send and receive Bitcoin. It's that public address. Always remember the last two and the first two digits and numbers and stuff. Okay. Now, how to obtain Bitcoin? Well, you can mine Bitcoin, which mining is extremely difficult now. The more people that add computing power to the network, the difficulty goes up and it takes greater computing power in order to solve that complex problem and earn the right to solve and put the next block on the blockchain. Okay. I wouldn't advise mining unless you're really technical and really savvy with computers. It could be a fun hobby. Some people are making money with GPU miners and script miners, right? There's SHA-256, which is for Bitcoin and many proof-of-work algorithms. Then there's another algorithm, encryption-type algorithm called script. That's what Litecoin does and these other cryptos, these other altcoins. And so you can mine with GPUs, graphics processors, and other... There's even ASICs now for scripts. 
And then you can mine all these different coins and the software that you use will switch between the most profitable coin to mine and then they'll convert it all the way to Bitcoin. So I met a guy recently and he's like, so what do you think about mining? I'm like, oh, there's no money in mining. He's like, I'm making, making this much amount every month. So there's still opportunity, but that's not the best way to earn crypto. You can buy crypto from Coinbase. Cash app on your phone is a really simple way to do it. And now PayPal apparently does it. I haven't experimented with that. I got banned from PayPal for selling Kratom with PayPal and doing cards and stuff. But those those are three ways. I would recommend Coinbase. It's been around for a while. It's in the crypto um, ecosystem, trusted. All of these, you have to do know your customer verification. So the government will know that you're getting involved in crypto. And these services, you can bet your bottom dollar, would could be subpoenaed with the crypto stuff. The, one of the best ways to do it is peer-to-peer. So there's actually some sites that don't require peer-to-peer. One of them used to be localbitcoins.com, but a lot of people got in trouble. You can sell Bitcoin privately, and if you don't make a profit on it, like I'll sell it to you for 5% over spot, right? Or I'll sell you this Bitcoin, but I want an extra $500 on top. If you don't do it for profit, if you simply change, if you're like, hey, I got a Bitcoin, do you want to buy it for $18,000 or whatever the exact spot price is? That is a private transaction. There's no requirements. Now, if you continuously sell Bitcoin for a profit, then you're considered a money service business by the Bank Secrecy Act and the Department of Treasury. You're required to file with them and you're required to do know your customer anti-money laundering checks where you verify their identity. And sometimes you run it through a terror database and all that stuff. But again, if you do peer-to-peer, the best way to do peer-to-peer isn't one of these websites with ratings, although that works too. And there are some I read recently that don't require KYC. But the best way is to have a network. That's why we always come back to freedom cells and network and computing, or, I'm sorry, community, is you have people you know you trust or you have someone that you know and someone can vouch for them. And then you do the transaction there. There's starting to be some telegram groups and some groups on MeWe where people are doing that. So be in the know, link up with people, the stronger your network stronger you are really at the end of the day. And then what I believe is the best way is to earn Bitcoin in exchange for goods and services. That's the best way to earn crypto, in my opinion, the best thing you can do. All right, I'm going to get into just real quick before I finish some technical analysis. So there's different ways. So when should you buy Bitcoin, right? You got to go by the old adage. You don't want to buy high and sell low. Okay. And Bitcoin's super high right now, but I understand people are excited. They feel like they missed the boat. You haven't missed the boat. I used to say for those that think they missed the boat on Bitcoin when the price was 18,000, 19,000, again, it was 15,000. The ship, I think I actually ripped this off from somebody. So there's that. I did say it though. Um, the ship hasn't even left the port yet, right? You think you missed the boat on Bitcoin? The sails are barely even set. It's still going to the moon, in my opinion. I think that we could easily see $25,000, $50,000, $100,000 Bitcoin. And in fact, in the future, we could even see a million dollars of Bitcoin as fiat currencies continue to erode in value, as chicanery continues to happen on a grand scale, as the supply of Bitcoin continues to get smaller and smaller. I do think the value is going to continue to go up. So even if you buy a little bit at 18,000 or you start buying at 18,000, that's one thing. So one thing you could do is you can buy the dips. I'll show you how to do that in a sec. Or you can do dollar cost averaging. And that's where you're like, okay, I can afford $200 of Bitcoin every month. So every month, no matter the price, I'm going to invest $200. I think Coinbase, I read a blog, Coinbase allows you to do this dollar cost averaging. Then over time, it weeds out the volatility. 
So if Bitcoin's just going up, then you have an average price for what you bought your Bitcoin at. And some of these dollar cost averaging software programs, they can tell you what that price is. Okay. So if you start buying in at 18 and then it goes back down to 15 and it goes up to 16 and it goes down to 13 and it goes back up to 18 and you're buying all throughout that over the course of that, it'll be like, okay, I, I bought in my average price was $17,000. Now Bitcoin's $22,000. Okay. I'm in good shape. Right. Another thing is hold on for dear life. A lot of people, um, a lot of people, this isn't for the faint of heart, right? It's like a roller coaster. It's a crazy ride. There was somebody I was working with. They bought a significant amount of crypto around 13,500, right? And then it shot up to 20K and everyone's like, all right, woohoo. Then it shot back down to 10, to nine, to eight, to seven. And I was like, holy shit. But they knew going into it, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm going to hold on for dear life, H-O-D-L. Right. It's a joke. Somebody was drunk on a Bitcoin.com forum. They're like, what do I do? I lost so much money. Do I hold? And they spelt hold wrong. H-O-D-L. They were drunk on whiskey. And so that birthed H hodl to hodl. Hold on for dear life. That's the strategy with this. Okay. You got to hold it. You got to hold it when it's going down. You got to hold it when it's going up. All right. I, earlier I said a bunch of crypto came into my hands. I sold it as I would earning income, right? That was my income is how I fed my family. Who knows if I would have had the testicular fortitude to hold on to it till this point, right? It could have been a Bitcoin crypto millionaire a hundred times over, literally no exaggeration. But who knows if I would have been like, oh my God, it went up from 200 to a thousand, better sell it all, right? Or it went up from 2000 to 10,000, time to sell it. No, that's not the strategy. Hold on for dear life when it goes down and when it goes up. It's a long-term purchase. It's a long-term hold. The value, in my opinion, is inevitably going to go up. However, be aware, don't invest more than you're willing to lose because it could go the opposite way. However, I believe that to be unlikely. All right. So dollar cost averaging is a way. Also like, okay, I got some extra money this month. I work on commission or I work on tips. This was a good month. My bills are all paid. I got an extra $400. Maybe I'll just buy it then. One thing you could do too, when you, even when you do dollar cost averaging and when you have extra money to drop it, you can buy the dips. Now, let me show you how to do that real quick. This is technical. I'm going long already, but let's go ahead and just show you this real quick because I took the time to get these ready. So this is a chart of what crypto has been worth since it's since 2013 or so, this little spike. This first spike, I believe, happened to... Let me show you something cool, actually. Sorry. This is a cover from Bitcoin Magazine. From March of 2013, Bitcoin rises again. Everybody in the crypto space was super excited about this. And guess how much Bitcoin rose to? So exciting. It got a magazine cover. Everyone was pumped up. Can anybody? Does anybody know the price off the top of their head of what Bitcoin was in March of 2013? It was like $88. All of the excitement when Bitcoin is $88. Now it's $18,000. How crazy is that? So that's pretty cool. A lot of people... A lot of the price went up as being manipulated by Mt. Gox early on. But look, check it out. There's something called ceilings and floors, right? And there's something called resistance, okay? And so there's a way that you can measure prices, essentially. Assets, businesses, stocks, they tend to have uh, resistance. So they'll come up and test a price. So as you can see... And then there's a floor on the flip side, okay? And so the price goes up, the price goes up, the price goes up. And then 
it bumps up here. This was a this was, I believe was an anomaly, but here we see some resistance. Over time, the price has tried to puncture through here. Price has tried to puncture through here. Price has tried to puncture through here, like twelve thousand five hundred. When it does puncture through there, it has a tendency to go up. When it does puncture through there, it has a tendency to go up. Look, we're about to punch through the all-time highs, and I believe the fundamentals are a little stronger this time around. So Bitcoin, I believe, is going to continue above twenty thousand. And it's possible that the new floor will be 20,000, just as the floor was around 10,000 for a while, right? Or the ceiling, at least, was around 10,000. I believe the new floor is going to be around 20,000 sooner than later. This is the Bitcoin charts for a year, okay? So let's say that you're wanting to buy the dips. You got a long-term strategy. You're being patient. As you can see, there's resistance here. What's the other one? It's resistance and... Resistance and support, of course. I haven't traded in a while. I've been trading for a while, and I learned a lot of the technical analysis. This is technical analysis, okay? So what did Mike say? You actually got to it and even completed a transaction. Nice, and thanks for explaining about Coinbase too. Lots of useful info, and still more coming. Keep up the good work, bro. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you and appreciate your praise. Okay, so this is how you can buy the dips, all right? You learn about... Resistance and support. Resistance is the price where the, the it'll go up and it'll start testing resistance. Okay. Oh, we, we really want to break through 10,000. We like 10,000. Oh, but we can't make it. Oh, we can't make it. Oh, we're, we're pushing the resistance. We're pushing the boundary. I hope you guys can see this little square I set up. We're pushing resistance, right? And then on the flip side, there's support. So see this little channel here? This is the ceiling resistance and the floor support. So for this few month period, the price bumped between here. It even bumped between here at this point as well. You see, and then it dropped right here, some problems. So it keeps punching through. So what you can see is sometimes when it punches through resistance, it goes on to set new highs, right? And then often what happens is the old resistance becomes the new support. So let me show you how to, how to buy the dips. Let's zoom in here to, this is the past month, all right? So let's say you were buying, you like got into crypto, you're all excited about it now, the price is going up and you want to buy the dips, okay? So check it out. See this channel here? You can start to see, okay, I see that there's resistance here at 14,000. The price is trying to punch through 14,000 and it's going through this channel, right? So whenever, or on a smaller scale, see this little channel here? See the ceiling here and the floor here? getting super technical. This is actually called technical analysis, but you can see that the price of Bitcoin bounced around this area. Okay. So now that we have a clear floor set, whenever the Bitcoin price goes back down to the floor, that might be a good time to buy. Here's another example of it right here. Again, this is all one month here, October 20th through 1120. See this phenomenon here? The price is bouncing up around here. Do, 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 do. And then it goes back down. Do, 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 do. We have a channel forming here, right? So whenever it's around this time, you're like, oh, there's a drop. There's a dip. Okay, there's another dip. Okay, does that make sense? Here's another period of a few days. You're paying attention to it. You're watching it. See this little channel here? Okay, it's going up. Oh, and then there's a dip. Do, 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 do. See? So that's resistance and support. It's something that you want to learn about if you want to buy the dip, if you want to buy when crypto is lower. You can examine that on a macro scale, but you want to be careful that you don't miss the boat. But again, the boat hasn't really set sail, but it's very noble of you. And it's a good, wise thing to do to not buy when it's super duper duper high. OK, 
Okay. That being said, you don't want to not buy. And then now it's two twenty thousand, twenty five thousand. You're like, damn, I should have bought at eighteen thousand. So what you do on a micro level is you see like, okay, the price is going like this. It's kind of steady. I'm seeing that it's forming resistance here and it's bouncing around. Now it's it's been forming uh, support here for the past three weeks or two weeks. Okay, so next time it goes back down to the support line, I think that's going to be the time that I invest my 200 bucks. Oh, it go went back up. All right, I'm going to wait. Oh, it went back down. Okay, now's the time I'm going to invest another $200. Does that make sense? You're like, okay, I got $2,000 to spend. Maybe I'll spend 500 on it whenever it goes down, right? And then I'll wait till it's dip again, right? But you got to be careful because inaction will lead to nothing at all. Okay, Carrie Stanfield says, I have a great radio voice. Well, thank you very much, Carrie. Really appreciate you on the Live Free Now show, bringing the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Check us out regularly. All right, folks. Oh, this ended up being an hour and a half. Man. Let me know in the comments too, like, should I do smaller, shorter things that are a little more consumable instead of just throwing everything out at once? Maybe I'll do both instead of, it can be instead of either or, it'll be and. Okay. All right. This is John Bush with the Live Free Now show. Today we talked about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and I dropped a whole lot of knowledge on you. I've been involved in the crypto space since 2012, 2013, and I've made a lot of mistakes. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot of wisdom. I do... Uh, would like to offer you some one-on-one time. If you want to do that, you can go to sovereignbtc.youcanbook.me, sovereignbtc.youcanbook.me, and you can schedule a one-on-one consultation. Should be able to fulfill your needs if you're a beginner getting set up in one to two hours. That should be all it takes. At $75 an hour, and I can assure you, you spend $75 or $150 for two hours, I can assure you that the knowledge I'm going to share with you and I'm going to pound it into your head to back up encrypt. I'm going to tell you what can go wrong so we can anticipate it so we can make sure that it doesn't happen. And as you start stacking your thousand bucks in Bitcoin, your half a Bitcoin, your full Bitcoin all the way down the line, that $150 investment is going to be extremely valuable for you. So whenever Bitcoin is 20,000, 50,000, 100,000, you're able to maintain that. No one's going to take it from you. We're going to protect it from hackers. But more importantly, we're going to protect it from you and user error. That's on the table. But now that we're talking crypto again, crypto's on everyone's mind, I assure you I will be giving out the free knowledge and wisdom just like I did on this hour and a half video. All right, John Bush here once again. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe to the podcast at livefreenow.show. Got some more business to take care of. I'm out. Thanks. Peace. Oh, somebody's got a question. Wicked stepmother. My question went missing in the comments. Very strange. Anyway, I will be booking with you and I'm looking forward to it very much. Okay, wicked stepmother. I'm sorry I missed your comment. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Let me see if I can go back to it and hit it real quick before we before we duck out. Is there a wallet that might be better than Jax? Maybe that was it. I use Coinomi. I prefer Coinomi to Jax. I believe Coinomi is one of the easiest wallets that you can use. And so, yeah, Pariah Carey, I'm studying software engineering. I don't want to ask my professor this. I'd like to start a currency or decentralized app to help us sex workers. Where could I learn the nuts and bolts like you? Um, There's a great book by Andreas Antonopoulos that really breaks down the inner workings of cryptocurrency. I forget the name of it. Maybe it's Mastering Bitcoin. Uh, And then a lot of crypto geeks and programmers and developers, they are so excited to share knowledge. And then there's other crypto coins that allow you to easily generate new tokens and stuff. So uh, I'm not sure what the hottest ones are these days, but that's great. All right, ladies and gentlemen. 
John Bush. Oh, Alan Smith, a testimonial consultation with John is great. Thank you so much, Alan. And uh, thank you for taking my advice. And I know that it's benefited you. Appreciate that. All right, everybody. Karen says, thank you. Great info. John Bush signing out. Peace and freedom. Live free. Remember, if you think you missed the boat, even though Bitcoin's price is high, the sales are yet to be set. There's still opportunity to get in. But don't just go in and bust out when it's the highest, right? You're going to want to do some dollar cost averaging or you're going to want to buy the dips, make some sound choices. And no matter what, hold on for dear life. I had a guy that bought a whole, whole lot of Bitcoin, a lot of Bitcoin at 13.5. Bitcoin went down, as we showed you earlier in that little thing, went down to like 5,000, 5,500. He held on for dear life. Now it's back above where he bought it. This was about two years ago that he did this. So hold on for dear life. You won't regret it. John Bush signing out. Peace and freedom. Thanks. Thanks.